I'm Kendall Ratliff. I believe that you can change your life by trying one thing at a time. You can learn more at my website, tryonething.co, or by tuning in to the Help NSFW podcast. And I'm Johnny Fairplay, reality TV, well, uh, survivor. And throughout my adventures, I've met a lot of interesting and motivating characters. Johnny and I made this podcast because we want you to unlock your full fucking potential. So whether you want to get a little more badass or a lot more badass, strap in. Join us here each week. It's Help NSFW. Hey, welcome everybody. I'm Kendall. I'm Johnny Fairplay, and we are joined here on an all-new episode of Help NSFW by, I like to consider you a friend at this point, <laughs> Sonia sure. Wick. You may remember her from World's Toughest Race on Amazon Prime Video, but if not, if, if you're familiar with Iron Man competitions, this is the Iron Woman. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Kendall. Thanks for having me on. When you guys said you were launching this podcast, I was like, um, yes and yes. Like, I can't wait to have a conversation. Let's see where this party goes. I'm excited. Excited to be here. Well, yeah, you've got your own podcast, and um, it's all about the race you did in Fiji. And uh, I, I've listened to a few episodes, and it's totally wrapped up in what appears to be your your ethos about inspiring people. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if my ethos is inspiring people, but what I found was I went and did this big 10-day adventure race in Fiji, and I knew that Amazon was really only going to feature a few of the teams, and there were 66 teams in the race. And I thought, wow, there's all these stories and all these amazing experiences that happened over these 10 days that are just going to get lost, right? People are going to take them home and and they're just going to disappear. So I started a podcast that's called Tales of Toughness. And I really just interview people who other people who have done the race to get kind of the untold stories that didn't air on the show. And it was really just because I wanted to hear those stories. You know, like I wanted to hear everyone else's experience. It had been so life-changing for me. I thought it must be life-changing for other people. Like what are their ahas and what did they take from it? What did they learn about themselves? I want to know. I It was kind of selfish, you know? <laughs> Did you get did you go to, uh, get Rhino uh, from Survivor? Was he one of your guests? I haven't had him on yet, but I bet he would. Okay, so did, did you hear his story? Did what happened to him? I heard his story the day after we finished the race. Yeah, oh, from from Rhino. Yeah, from him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so my friend Rhino, my first season Survivor, Rhino Prey. Uh, he was on the amazing. It is. He was on the Morgan tribe, who was, you know, the competition. Then we had the merge and, and uh, we became fast friends and, 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 you know, stayed until he was, he was one of the best men at my wedding. I had, I, I couldn't choose. Uh, who, who, what, <laughs> I mean, like, like the bride gets maids of honor. So yeah. I'm like, why can't I have best men? Yeah. So anyway, so I had best men. So, so Rhino decides to do eco challenge world's toughest race and so he calls me before he goes he's just like hey i'm not a t i'm not allowed to talk about this but let me tell you uh i'm doing uh eco challenge world's toughest race it's going to be the biggest show in the history of amazon uh they're already planning on bringing me back for survivor the whole season is going to be a, 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 about me you know it's going to be like survivor rhino and you know and all and all this stuff and so the show comes on i'm just like hey my friend rhino's on here so i watched the first episode I don't see Rhino. I watched the second episode. I don't see Rhino. I watched it. So, and it, and so I was like, what's the name <laughs> of his team? And it was just like team traverse. And I was just like, Oh, I Pete believe traverse. they were, 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 I think they were eliminated on the first episode. Right. Yeah. 
And I'm just like, oh no, <laughs> it's like there, there's no rhino. And but fast forward uh, uh, to a later episode, and there's a there there's uh, there's a competitor who who has a uh, a malfunction with uh, some equipment on his bike. So he's looking for this apparatus for his bike, and you know, talking with other racers, it's like. That's not how this shit works. I mean, you can't just grab this one thing and put it like, cause every bike is different. Yeah. This dude needs another bike. Like he's not asking for that, but he should be. And the bikes aren't like Legos. No, 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 they are not. <laughs> and so Rhino ends up giving this guy his bike, but you don't, once again, you don't see Rhino. You just see the you bike, Yeah. <laughs> but the legacy the that is just Yes, the legacy that is Rhino is the bike, and 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 I was so I mean I was you know I know Rhino would have preferred to have been on the show. However, I thought it was really cool. I mean, like that you know because you know this is you know thousands of dollars of equipment. And he's just like, hey, I can't do this. You need to. I mean, you know, and that that's Rhino. I mean, he'll give you the shirt off his back. Yep, their team was like that. They didn't make it past the first day or just into the second day, I think, and. So at our first camp where we were there, um, they had they had been shuttled to that camp eventually, you know, and they were going around to all the teams with all their food because they weren't going to use it. It's race food and just giving away everything. And I tell you, they had this one company called Split, and it's basically like peanut butter and jelly in little packets that you would smush together and like put in your mouth. I ate those for 10 days straight, like, and it came straight from them. And I, I never would have uh, had them had it, had they not been so gracious with the fact that they didn't make it past day one and then gave away all their stuff to everybody else. It sounds like this show, the, um, the attitude of the host country and the attitude um, between the different teams, it sounds really different from other competitive reality shows. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that there's, it's just a race. Like it, it's not even, it's a show that they film while we're racing. But once they said go, mm -hmm. the course is laid out. We're getting our maps. We're navigating my map and compass the whole time. Um, there's no, no one asked us to, you know, go do that again. Or everything was captured from the camera crews as just watching us race. Mm -hmm. And so it, I, I don't know how Survivor works or any of the other reality shows works, but it really, it wasn't a reality show. It was a race that they filmed and turned into sort of a docu series that kind of looked like a reality show, but nothing was. Where the I'd say the only thing that kind of maybe bordered on that was that we were when we were in the camps, there were some of us who were asked to do interviews, so that's not really racing if I have to go over and do a ten minute interview. But they tried to really limit um, that ask, you know, and only for the teams that they were following. And it, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it was significantly affected our race in any way. I, I wouldn't really consider it a reality competition show with, you know, like a survivor or something like that, because mm -hmm. like, I, I just, I mean, like, like on the amazing race, we were talking uh, on, on the last episode with Corey, you know, they, they, they reset you so many times to kind of, you know, to keep it even. So everyone's in it. This was not the case. I mean, not like, at all. The, New, the New Zealand team was mm -hmm. just like, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we're going to start this and we're going to win this. And yes. that's it. And that's what they did. They've been winning everything for 20 years. The New Zealand team, Nathan Fave's won everything he's done pretty much for the last 15 years. And so they knew they were coming. This is their sport. They're there to win it. They came, they won it. Like, you know, it, was, it never looked like anyone was close. They weren't. <laughs> so, but if you're watching for a quote unquote race, 
I don't feel that that's really what the viewers got either. I, like, I felt no, like it was, right. it was a human interest television show. I mean, yeah. like, and, and, you know, I was telling Kendall, you know, <laughs> if you'd like to watch the show and, and you're expecting to watch, like, like Eco Challenge on the USA Network was a race. That's what you were seeing. However, this, you're watching, just prepare to cry two to three times an episode. And and I don't do that when I watch a race. <laughs> That's true. I know. I don't know how, you know, I don't know how they do that in editing because they obviously can't edit the race to appeal to a whole bunch of adventure racers because there's only like a thousand of us in the world, right? You can't make an Amazon show for a thousand people. You've got to kind of make it for the masses. And so how do you balance that? I, I'm thankful they let us just race, but then they did have to pull out, like, how do we distribute this to the masses so that we can continue to do these races in the future, fund this crazy 10 day sport that inspires people around the world. And that's what I've found is that, you know, the special interest stories and people being able to see themselves in somebody else, it's really hard to see yourself in Nathan Fave. Like yeah. he's the Michael Jordan of the sport, you know, maybe if, if you're uh mid forties to fifties, New Zealander, who's been exercising 40 hours a week for the past 30 years, you could see yourself in Nathan Fave. But for most of us, we're like that dude's on another level. Yeah. But Almost I, emotionless. Yeah. I mean, he, it's just business. Yeah. Just a machine. Business. I mean, like, like yeah. it, there's, a, there's, there's a, a special type of person like, you know, like, like a Ronda Rousey or yeah. a Michael Jordan. And, yeah. And, and Nathan, like they're, they're, they're in just, their element there's this tunnel vision that that's all they see and that is their life. And, you know, and, and, you know, he might be experiencing some really high highs and some really low lows, but you ain't seeing it if he is. No. Huh? And they, you know, he's in, he's a, at his best in his sport, the sport he's trained to do. I, I interviewed him on the podcast and it was interesting. He said something to the effect of like, we did everything we knew was the right thing to do to train for the race. And so we, and we know we're the best in the world. And so really like, we don't have to do anything special. We only have to just go out and do what we do day in and day out. And if we do that, there really isn't anyone in the world that can beat us. And so it's not, I'm not being cocky. It's just, that is what that is. Like we are the best in this sport. So all we have to do is go be ourselves. And so that actually, he said, it took a lot of pressure off. There really isn't any pressure because he didn't quote unquote have to perform. They really just had to go out and be themselves. And so that's what they did. They went out and did what they've done a million times before in the way that, that they've done it a million times before. It's like, how many times do you take that free throw, right? Like you just got to get up and take that free throw. Like you've taken that free throw a million times. And that's what eco challenge was for them. I think I enjoyed the race more than they probably did. Yeah. I got more sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so what was behind you going into this race? What made you decide? Me? It was, um, gosh, what? That's like a loaded question. I was yes just on the tail end of like a major emotional breakdown. And I didn't know who I was anymore. And <laughs> like having a massive like identity crisis, uh, you name it. I, yeah, I, I had been in triathlon for a ton of years and opened a triathlon business that drove me into the ground. And I had a full nervous breakdown in 2017 and yeah, I had recovered from that, but I had come out of it like, I can't go back to triathlon. Like, that's super triggering, you know? 
and I don't really know what's next for me. I don't even know why I was doing that stuff in the beginning. Like I thought it was fun and it made me feel really good. And I love beating people, but I don't really want to beat people for a living. Like that's weird. Um, so I was kind of in this like identity crisis and I knew that my life purpose had something to do with like adventure. Like I, I love the adventure. I've always loved the adventure piece. And, um, then I saw the ad for eco challenge and I had watched it when I was young and I had always thought, man, like, I think I could have been one of those girls. Like I kind of identified with those girls that can do really hard things. And then the ad came out for the race and I just had this moment that was so, deep. And in my core, it was like this light bulb, like, oh my gosh, I have to do that. Like, have I ever done an adventure race? No. Do I have a team? No. Do I have anything special that will make Mark, Mark Burnett, like pick me for the show? No. But you know what? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And so that was when I just thought like, gosh, how am I going to make this happen? So that light bulb moment, it started from there. And there were so many times. So we, I did, I found a team I had coached James Lawrence um, many years back, who's the Iron Cowboy, who's gone on to do these amazing Ironman feats. And I thought, okay, like, I love James. He's probably tough enough to do some of these really hard things, even though he's never done them before, because he's just a tough nut. And I'm sure Mark Burnett will find him pretty impressive. So I kind of thought like, okay, let me amass a team based around that. And it it worked. Um, and I had a ton, like, from the light bulb moment to when the race happened, I had so many crises of confidences along the way. And I think that's something like I always try to tell people because they don't realize, like I had this great moment. I knew this was this thing I was supposed to do like on a soul level, but it didn't make the process along the way without like tons of bumps and tons of, of confidence moments where you're like, am I even supposed to be doing this? Or even we even going to make to the start line? Like this is way too hard. Like I had all those silly, crazy moments and it still was the thing I was supposed to do in my life. It still was definitely the light bulb was there for a reason. And it, you know, at times that light bulb, you got to like, let that light bulb moment carry you through all the crises of confidence along the way. I think that is so helpful for people to hear that yeah. and have that soul level conviction that this, mm-hmm. that, that doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. No, not at all. So awesome that you didn't let that shake your, your core conviction. Oh, it like it shook me for sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. like, it totally shook me. Um, and, and there were times I was like, oh my gosh, I, I don't even think we're going to make it through this, you know? And then I just... I had, and then I would float out of it. Right. And I would have these moments of like, okay, I was really meant to experience that. And I was really meant to learn this lesson from that, you know, or I was meant to learn to work as a team in this way. So, yeah, I mean, there was sort of at times felt like there was a divine plan because there was like a divine initiation to it all, but oh, so, so many, so many crises of confidence along the way. And, and those do make the end sweeter when you see what you got through. Yeah. Being able to look back. Well, and that's so cool too. Just you looking back on your childhood and being like, Oh, I, I liked this as a kid. I wanted, this was, I, I love being able to look back and like, see something came. I, I guess a podcast, I shouldn't be using a lot of hand gestures. <laughs> People watch and, or listen, have her audience for watching. In the she's other making half. circular motions. Yeah, <laughs> I, I made a loop in the air. So yeah, it, that's great to be able to connect something to your own past and be like, Hey, younger self, look what we're doing now. Yeah. I mean, don't you think like we're all here trying to find this like meaning and purpose, right? Absolutely, 
And we're trying to use that meaning and purpose to help us make decisions about what to do going forward, right? Like what we're going to do for a job, what we're, how we're going to bring money in, who we're going to go to bed with, right? <laughs> like who we're going to, who our friends are going to be, how many kids we're going to have, like what is the trajectory of your life and how do you inform those decisions? Like where do they come from inside of you? And I think for me, I've noticed there are threads that have been alive in me all along. And one, and, and those are threads that other people don't have, you know, like I've, I did an interview with a lady who hasn't, she just doesn't like to be outside. She's really into watching TV shows. So she was interviewing me because she was like such a TV junkie. And I'm like, Oh wow. Like I love being outside and going on adventures and you love watching like TV shows, but she loved TV shows. Like I love climbing Valencia peak behind my house. Like we were the same. We both were super lit up. So like, how do you find that purpose and direction inside of yourself? And how does your childhood, it can kind of inform you and give you little tips about what you kind of have always been into or meant to do. Absolutely. And I think some of it is, um, letting go of fear. And I think it's really easy to be afraid when you don't see a category out there for your thing. Oh my gosh. Yes. A guidepost, but like, why not? Why can't you just fucking love TV? And like, that's your thing. Cool. Do it. Right. At it. Right. Yeah. And she's great. I know. Yeah. It's, we're, we're all such unique individuals. And I think on paper, we can all say like finding your unique individuality is what makes you special and attractive. And that's what you, but then when push comes to shove and like, all the mommies do play dates and stay home for naps with their kids. And you put your kid in a bicycle and drag it around town. Like there's, we always have these images that we're going to fight against on how we think we're supposed to be showing up. Um, and I think that's human nature. Like it doesn't matter what your dreams are or what childhood you had or what community you're a part of. There's always going to be kind of this kickback of like, Hey, am I okay to take agency in my own life? Or am I supposed to kind of blend permission. in here? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Giving yourself permission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you do go like the opposite route, you know, like, like a Johnny Fairplay type person, you're a yeah. maverick. It's just like, you know, like you, you can't be contained. You're, 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 you know, like why, why, why are the rules not, you know, in, in, in place for you? And I'm just like, Hey, I'm not in jail. So the rules are there to a certain extent. However, if I, if, if there's an opportunity nine times out of 10, I'm just going to do it because I'm like, why? Like I, I'm fortunate enough to be given these opportunities. I'm going to take advantage of them versus, you know, sitting at home going, man, I, I bet that would have been really fun. I wish I would have done that. So. Well, and that mentality is why Johnny and I talked Sunday about <laughs> let's do a podcast and now it's Friday and we're doing our second interview. So yeah, why not? <laughs> um, why not? I think you mentioned something really important that your context, the, we all have a deep, need to belong. Like yeah. it is embedded in our DNA. You, you have to have a sense of belonging to do well. And so if you're in groups and communities where you are so far out there, um, I think that can make it a lot harder to take a chance. And like you mentioned what the other moms are doing. Um, I don't have children, but my friends that do, I've, I've heard the mom communities can be kind of vicious. Where there's I a mean, lot of comparison. Yeah, certain mom communities can. <laughs> yeah, so good for the, you. the athletic mom community is, you know, different, or it can be a little vicious to the non, the sedentary mom community. Um, 
I think sometimes we land in communities, you know, life changes, right? Whenever we have these big life changes and we're sort of tr trying to find our feet in them and we're looking for community and we kind of amass that first phase of community, mm -hmm. you know, you've always got to be in this position where you're assessing, is the person who's come into my life, are they supportive? How am I showing up in this community? Is it how I want to show up or do I need to keep looking for other people? Yeah. We don't need a lot of people in our life, but if they're the right people, um, then it can be, it can be a lot, a lot more productive to us living our purpose than if we surround ourselves with a lot of people who aren't quite in alignment with where we're headed. So I don't know. I think that inner circle for me, I've had to really assess that inner circle over the last like four to five years. And, um, I had my phase where it was like, I kind of wanted everyone to be okay with Sonia, right? Like I wanted to be very palpable to a large array of people, to my family. You know, I want everyone to kind of be copacetic with the decisions I was making for my life. And, and then you get burned, <laughs> yeah. right? And then you start to realize like, whoa, you know, the feedback, the criticism that I'm receiving, like it actually has a lot more to do with the other person than it does with me. And so if I'm gonna like, if I'm going to suddenly be like the right person for you and the right person for you and the right person for you and the right person for you, I either better be like the most amazing chameleon. Right. Right. Or I better recognize that I'm giving away my life. Like my life is no longer on my own trajectory. So I think in the recent years, I've come to understand more and more that the goal is actually to push people away. <laughs> <laughs> the, the goal is actually to go Johnny Fairplay with it and be so 100% yourself that the people who are left right. are like the people and, and they do understand you at a deeper level. They're still always going to be giving you feedback that's based on their experiences and their, their past histories. And you got to take praise and criticism with a, a grain of salt, but you know, I don't think that the circle has to be super huge to feel really supported in your, in your life purpose. Yeah. There's like a lot of great people in the world, but that doesn't mean they have to be on your bus or in your. Exactly. Program. Yeah. I, I, I actually only have three friends, uh, Kendall, <laughs> Sonia, and, and my, well, my third won't let me say their name out loud. So <laughs> pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty tight friendship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We try to limit our create our praise and our criticism. <laughs> but I, I, that's a great point about criticism. You know, I'm way more open to criticism from the people closest to me because I share values with them. If your yeah. values are completely different from mine, I don't. You're coming from a different place if you're telling me that I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, I always say like, are you in the arena or are you my target market? Because those are like, if you're in the arena with me, if we're both in eco challenge, like, okay, I could, you know, your criticism has some validity, right? We're both doing this together. Are you my target market? Do I need to listen to you because I'm trying to monetize you? <laughs> like, those are two opinions that I probably need to like pick up to. But if you're not my target market and you're not in the arena with me, then, you know, have your opinions, but I just can't let them lay super heavy on my heart because I got to keep moving forward in the way that I need to move forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So let's go back to, to what was uh, initially a, a trigger for, for everything that, that followed. So, you know, you, you had the, 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 the personal training um, business. Yeah. I had a coaching company with seven assistant coaches and 150 athletes that we trained to do Ironmans mostly. Damn. Yeah. So, what happened that that changed <laughs> Sonia's life 
forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it was interesting. So I had what I call my empty bowl moment, which, you know, the moment of getting, I got second place in Ironman Kona in Hawaii in my age group. It was, I wanted to win. That was my big, my big goal for five years I spent. And the next morning I woke up and I was so stoked to get second. Like, wow, you get this big umiki bowl, this big wooden bowl. And I, I woke up the next morning in my Airbnb and the bowl was on my nightstand. And I remember looking over and being like, no way that thing is empty. <laughs> like, no, I am empty. It? Like, I, I ch- for five years, I, I chased an empty bowl. Um, and I knew at that moment that getting first was just going to get me a bigger empty bowl. Shoot. Like let let less shit in it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I had not really learned how to fill my bowl for, to use the metaphor. Um, and so my first thought was, well, I think that when people get to this place where they feel empty because they've been accomplishing things, right. I've been on a lot of podiums and really trying to chase like beating people for a living essentially. Mm. Um, and then that doesn't do it for you. I'm pretty sure the next step is service, right? Like you go help people. And so that was what informed kind of that next phase of my life is like, well, podiums aren't really doing it for me. That's just making a bigger bowl. I need to learn to fill the bowl. Filling the bowl might be helping other people. So I marched down that path. But what I recognized pretty quickly is my first sort of foray into entrepreneurship and really trying to build a big business. And we built, we built very fast and we grew very fast and we were very successful what didn't catch up with our, our growth and, you know, I'm a hard hitter, so I'm going to, I'm going to go build all the things. I'm going to learn Infusionsoft. I'm going to have my email marketing. We're going to expand nationwide. We're going to bring on, you know, it all was successful in that regard, but my leadership was not growing at the same rate, especially when it came to how I process other people's opinions. And so I now had a group of coaches who had opinions about how I was running my business. And I had a big group of athletes who had opinions about how I was running my business. And I had the relationship between those coaches and those athletes. And I, from a internal side, I had always had a lot of big time struggles with what other people thought of me. And, and when criticism came across, it would hit me really hard. And I didn't have the leadership skills to kind of continue to drive the business forward without taking on like, oh, well, she thinks that, and she thinks that, and she thinks I should do this. And they think I should do this. And they're mad with this. Are they going to leave? And, and that was what was really tripping me up the biggest running the business. And um, I also got to this place where I kind of like had this moment where I looked around and realized that I had built this massive business to help a whole bunch of people go get wooden bowls. <laughs> like that's yeah. Like I was like, I can't fill my own. So I'm going to go help other people get bowls. Like, wait, how is helping other people get empty bowls, filling your bowl? That was a moment. It was like, so I, I really, I had a day where I had all this feedback and criticism come at me like massively. And I was running triage for my business the entire day, trying to keep athletes from leaving, keep coaches, you know, just trying to like juggle all the emotional balls. And I had, I had been having panic attacks. I'd been having them in my business. I'd never had them as an athlete, but the business sort of started this whole role of panic attacks with me. And, um, I had like a series of maybe five or six of them that day as I was running triage in the business. And then we need to go get our car from the auto body shop. And we went to get the car from the auto body shop. And um, my husband at the time said to me, um, you can't do this. Like you can't have conversation. You need to be more professional. And for some reason, just that last bit of criticism 
took me over the edge. And I had this big panic attack in the auto body parking lot and I could not get control of my, I thought I was dying. I couldn't, I was hyperventilating. I could not stop hyperventilating. So then I couldn't breathe and um, I passed out. I like passed out. And so the ambulance was called and I got a trip to the ER for a panic attack, <laughs> which I guess they have happened. I'm not the first to end up in the ER thinking I'm having a heart attack, dying when I'm actually sure. just having a panic attack. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, pretty and, and, and pretty traumatic. No heart attack. I mean, like you know, like <laughs> who knows? Like healthy athlete <laughs> could okay. have been. We don't know. We yeah. don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I basically got like a sedative for the weekend. And when I came out of that weekend, I the best way I can describe it is that I was a teapot, and I got dropped on the ground. And after that weekend, I was just a million pieces, and I had no idea how to put the teapot back together. I I couldn't function. I couldn't look at my computer or my phone. Like, obviously things were blowing up. I had been MIA for 48 hours, which when you're running a big business like that never happens. And I couldn't have conversations with people. I couldn't have someone even say to me, like, I hope you're doing okay. Cause I was like, Oh no, she hopes I'm doing okay. I'm not doing okay. It was like, even that to me was criticism. I hope you're doing okay. Or I hope you're well. And I was like, Oh God, she knows I'm not well. You know, it was just, I, whatever was in me, that processes how other people think of me broke. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I had to power down for about four months. And I just had to get everybody out. Like I had no contact really with anybody. And I had to get into therapy immediately. And I started having a lot of suicidal ideation at that point, from that point onwards, actually. I didn't have much suicidal ideation before then. But once I, uh, like the isolation that was very necessary came into the equation and lots of therapy, which then started unearthing everything. That was when the, I started thinking about like, how am I going to get through this emotionally? How am I gonna, going to be like a functioning member of society again? Maybe I can't, maybe I won't, maybe I shouldn't. Um, so yeah, that, that was a tough four months and we had to, as is so common in our mental health system right now is we really do wait until people get to that point of crisis, yeah. like, way overblown crisis to then start getting them help. So you have to back yourself out of crisis back to stability before you can then back from stability out to like foundations of mental health. So yeah, I spent, you know, four months backing myself out of crisis essentially. Were you, were you a mother at the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Annie. And actually the odd thing about that time period was just, you know, I had been so busy for so many years as an athlete and then having a business. And then suddenly my, um, I had nothing. I had zero, like zero to do every day. I didn't have, I didn't look at my computer for four months. We went and got a phone and put two phone numbers on it. I had two phone numbers on my phone. I didn't have any, so I did no social media, no nothing. I was not in the world I had been in at all. I was in the real world. It's this thing that's like earth with a house and a kid. And so, yeah, that time period was pretty neat for Annie because for the first time I was very present in my daughter and I woke up and did breakfast and took her to school. And I hadn't already run 10 miles that morning, you know, and I was there when she came home. And um, so, yeah, I got to focus back on family for sure. And what was important kind of get back to, to basics in that regard. Um, so she sees it as a different time period than I did, but when she was gone at school, I would just be in bed all day or in therapy. Do, do you feel she was a, a major catalyst or do you, uh, or was it just, just the stripping away of everything else was, was the, 
prime emphasis there. I think I noticed, um, I learned a lot about my daughter during that time period and her capacity to hold a lot of space for me. I never hid any of it from her. There was never any like, oh, protect, protect the child. And she was like 12 um, at the time. So aware enough to know like things are not right at all, but I was really vocal with everything. Like Annie knows that I had suicidal ideation and we have talked about that. And while some parents might think like, oh my God, you would never tell your kids that, like, what would they, I don't know, Annie just, she kind of handled all of that really maturely. And I, I've always doubled down on honesty with Annie. That's always been my thing is like, I'll answer any question you have. I'll be a hundred percent honest. And so I just figured I got to keep going with that route. And she rose to the occasion. She's a big, um, she was a big source of support and continues to be a big source of support in my life. So you said we're not very good at dealing with things before it gets to crisis. Yes. So looking back, were there, were there things that you now know, like, oh, that was yes. a signal? Okay, totally. So learn how to, to check in with yourself better. So what, what do you yeah. think now looking back at the lead up to that huge crisis? Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I always like to compare it to breast cancer because everyone loves boobs, but you if are you, the best, Big fan. boobs are yes, great. Love I mean, love them. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was looking at some earlier today. <laughs> yes. See, if you have a lump, I mean, Kendall, if you have a lump, like if you literally find a lump in the shower, you're Big calling deal. your doctor. Big, huge deal. Yeah. Right. Like you're calling, you're getting in for a mammogram probably within 48, 72 hours. Right. And, and you don't have any symptoms. You don't have breast cancer. Like you just have something, you know, is a red flag. This lump isn't supposed to be here. What the fuck's happening? Yeah. Like anxiety and panic attacks are a red flag. But we don't treat them that way. No one's like, whoa, you had a panic attack. Oh my gosh, call your PCP. Like, let's get into, you know what I mean? So there are tons of symptoms that we're experiencing from a mental health perspective right now that are, it's literally equivalent of someone being like, it's probably just a bump. Like, you know, it, you're probably going to grow out of it. Like, no, that's not how we treat these things, right? We get in and we get some some help. And you know what? If you go in and the bump isn't anything, you see the doctor, they look at it. They're like the bump isn't anything and you go on your merry way, right? Yeah. So we could do the same. I had a panic attack. I go in, I seek some, some help, some treatment, some advice. They're like, Hey, sounds like it's an isolated event. Go on your merry way, right? Like we could be treating the symptoms of, of mental health, future mental health crisis. We could be treating it the same way as we do with a lot of physical ailments. If you have symptoms, then you, you should seek treatment. Okay. And if- the fact that you were telling us a story earlier that you had seven panic panic attacks in one day mm -hmm. and we didn't reply with the fact, why didn't you fucking go see the doctor yeah. after one of the first six? Right. That, that, I think that speaks right. volumes to all of us. Yeah. We're all like, oh, panic attacks. Yeah. That's a thing. People have those. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. Guess what? Those yield to breakdowns. Those yield to, you know, like they're not all the time at all. You know, just like bumps in our breasts don't yield breast cancer all the time either. But yeah, we have plenty of, we're marginalizing um, mental health symptoms yeah. consistently as a, as a community. We are marginalizing them every single day. And so that, uh, yeah, we need help. We need help with that. We need, you know, and, and right now the way our system is set up, it's not super easy we just don't have those systems in place like we do with, say, breast cancer to get in and get 
in 72 hours get a mammogram. Like we're not in that place. It's hard to get in to see a therapist within 72 hours if you're having um, some of these situations or a psychologist, psychiatrist. So yeah, we've got some work to do there. And I think that's why those of us who are kind of warriors in this battle need to step up and be there for the people in our community and be willing to look at other people's symptoms and step in, you know, where we don't have professionals in, in place that can, can be there quickly. Like we kind of, those of us have been through it are in this place where we have to help each other in the short term, continue to seek care and help people get care. Yeah. And so your body, um, the way I've been thinking about it with myself is like, I want to listen to my body when it's speaking gently to me so that it doesn't have to scream at me. That's right. So what are the ways now that you can see now that your body is speaking gently to you before you get to, I, I'm going to scream at you until you stop? Yeah. So I think what I've learned now is that just like physical health, we have like these foundations of physical health that we all know to be true. And if if we're doing those things and we're still having symptoms, something's wrong. So I think of that with mental health as well. Um, things like sleep, talk therapy, meditation, and gentle exercise. Those are sort of, for me, the foundations of my mental health. And um, I try to make sure those things are happening in an ongoing on an ongoing basis. And I do that because A, they're helpful. But B, they also let me know if I'm doing all the foundational things and I'm still experiencing symptoms, then I need help. So it's hard to be like, well, I'm not meditating and I'm not sleeping that well. And I haven't talked to my therapist in a long time and I haven't gotten any exercise last week and I'm having panic attacks, right? Like, okay, it's a lot easier to explain away some of the symptoms that you're having or I'm having anxiety, right? Or, oh, I've, I've kind of been really depressed or down. Well, you're like, yeah, you're not doing any of the things um, that are foundational. But if you're doing, if you're like, I am sleeping and I am in with my therapist and I'm meditating every day and I'm getting, you know, 20 minutes of healthy exercise a day and I'm still having anxiety, right? And I'm still having depression. Then that's a really different conversation in your head. So I think that's where I land today is like one thing is, am I doing those foundations of mental health on a daily basis? And if those are starting to fall by the wayside, that's a red flag. But if I am doing those things and I'm still experiencing some symptoms, that's a red flag. And that inform that helps me get treatment and get help like way better than anything. Sometimes just getting my foundations back in place helps my symptoms go away. And then other times I've had a few times in the last couple of months where, yeah, I was doing good on all those things and I still was experiencing some pretty significant depression. So I had to go back to my doctor and be like, what is going on here? And what can we do about this? And, and then we had a conversation and we got it fixed, you know? I mean, that to me, that's an illustration of change the system or change the user. So you've yeah. gotten really good with yourself as the user and like, oh, I need to work on the user right now. Um, but sometimes you've optimized all of your choices and yeah. functioning and something's still happening. So like, okay, let's take a step back. Look at right. The yeah. And we just, I, I feel sad that we're, we all know we're supposed to like exercise and eat healthy and not drink a ton of alcohol and limit our sugar, like these physical, like to help our physical body. Right. And not be overweight. Like these things have been pounded in us. Um, and right now I just see like, there is such a need for us to really start talking about foundations of emotional health. But everything you said, those practices you do to keep your yeah. self at, at a good baseline, all of that takes time. So how do you how do you make the time for that? 
Yeah. I think it's what, have you ever heard the quote? Like if you, if you don't have time for 10 minutes of meditation, you need an hour. Yes. Just it's read like, that this week. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I think it's a similar thing. Like if I don't have time to meditate for 10 minutes in the morning, get a little bit of exercise, get eight hours of sleep and talk to my therapist every other week, then I've got bigger problems, <laughs> right? Like then that's a like what is going on, Sonia, that those things are too tall of an ask. Um, so I make time for those things because – if they fall away, that just means like, whoa, we're we're way off the path. Those have to be foundational. I think people sometimes need to um, they need to be given permission. I mean, no one needs yeah. to be given permission. Truly, we can all make the choices. But um, sometimes I know in my life, I've needed to hear it from outside people, like, hey, you know, you don't have to fucking do this, right? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Um, so like, y'all, Sonia, she's giving you permission. I am. And, you can say, this is my fucking 10 minutes. Go away. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're all responsible for our own physical and mental health. Mm-hmm. Like no one's going to make the time for your life, but you. And if all these other things yeah. have come in and they feel like they're competing on your time and their must-haves, um, what are those things without you? And, and where are you without your physical health or your emotional health? You aren't there, you aren't able to show up for the things and the people that need you anymore. So yeah, you know, you can only rob from Peter to pay Paul for so long. And for me, I, I learned that lesson the hard way, right? I had to take four months of not a zip zero zilch. It was a, not a productive four months. I did a lot of puzzles, you know, like, (laughs) but I mean, gosh, sometimes when someone's in a coma, they're healing. I mean, right. You took out all your inputs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it took you four months. So I would say that was a very productive four months. It's just, I think we need to redefine productivity or we need to stop using that word. Um, yeah. I think productivity can be a really toxic word that we use to hurt ourselves. Because that was obviously a critical, important four months, even if oh. you didn't accomplish 18 deliverables. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a major left turn in life in a direction that has been so much more healing. I, I mean, I, we, I've got a lot of life left, you know, couldn't continue down that path. I had to change directions. And that, that junction in my life really required an extended stay so that I didn't go another wrong direction. Um, it didn't feel like a very productive four months, but in, in, <laughs> in the regard that it transformed the rest of my life, it was the most productive. Um, and and I think it would have been it would have been nice um, to not have it be so painful. But I also look back, especially after the show's aired, and you know it's fu- it's funny from the show. Like no one emails me from the show and is like, "Wow, Sonia, you're so fit. Can you train me to be like really fit?" <laughs> Even though I'm a coach and I train people to be really fit all you know all the time. Every single person who's contacted me, and there have been thousands from the show. Everyone wants to talk about mental health. Everyone. Like that's, that's hilarious to me because I spent 15 years of my life, right? Trying to make my body like amazing and all of the feedback that's coming at me, all everyone wants to look at me and say, we need to have a conversation is about what was going on in my mind 
and my brain and how other people, how I can help other people find their way back to wellness. And that's not lost on me. And, and that doesn't happen without those four months, you know, cause I went and did a physical thing and I thought, Hey, I'm doing another big physical thing. And what came out of it, massive amounts of people wanting to talk about mental health. So I'm like, game on, here we go. Do you have a one or two first steps that you usually recommend or is it so different for individuals? I, you know, I've got N equals one when it comes to nervous breakdowns, <laughs> to be uh-huh. honest, like I've had one and I'm one person. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not skilled in telling people how to handle it. But for me, um, I, I like I said, I had to get external stuff out. Like I just needed some, some breathing room. And so I couldn't have so much coming in and at me. And maybe for one person that looks like work, maybe for another person that looks like their family obligations. I don't know, but I just knew I needed space. Like I needed emotional space and how I got that was making people around me back the heck up so that I could get some emotional space and the inputs would stop coming in for a fraction of time. And then honestly, like I had to get into talk therapy, um, and that for me started really aggressively. That was three times a week for months. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky that I could afford it. You know, I know our system has a lot of holes. Um, I was lucky that we could get me into somebody rather quickly, that we found somebody good. You know, there's a big difference in care out there. I know all these things to be true. But for me, finding somebody to talk to and connect with on this was really important. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we were talking to you before we went on the air. Uh, every episode, uh, we decided we, we'd like our guest uh, to to uh, help us with a call to action with mm-hmm. a with a project or charity of their choice. And you have chosen one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so let's steer our uh, our listeners and viewers in the right direction here. Yeah, um, I I contribute to and always um, I'm trying to build more resources for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Its initials are NAMI, and I think we're going to put the links in. Um, And if my, you know, story is connected with you or you're in a place right now where you're feeling pretty stuck, like NAMI has resources out there that can help. Um, A couple things that have worked for me is um, One, I talked about talk therapy and finding someone that you can talk to. I think that's a really big deal. Another one, which seems kind of silly, but I'm just going to throw it out there because if I have to kind of create a task for somebody, Corey tells people to go run for 20 minutes or 10 minutes. What I'm going to tell you to is get out a piece of paper, write one through seven on it and write down seven people that you can call when you're not feeling good. Yeah, I have that on my fridge. And I will say, just looking at those seven names on a daily basis and knowing like I'm not alone, I actually have seven people in my life that would take a phone call from me that's a disastrous phone call. And I am not feeling good. Please help me right now. Just tell me something great phone call. Um, you know, if your list is three, that's great. If your list is seven, that's that's even better. Um, but yeah, make a list of people that you can reach out to since right now with our system, it's it can be hard to get in to see people. So we've got to rely on each other. That. So your call to action, people get out a piece of paper, probably back of an envelope. Does that count? Sure. Okay. Business card signed to autograph by Johnny Fairplay. You have one of those. <laughs> I do have one. <laughs> it's on the nightstand. I know you're not in your bedroom. It's okay. <laughs> I like that. I like that call to action because um yeah, what a reminder that you're 
you might not be as alone as you think you are. You, you aren't. Find those, if you can't write down seven people, then maybe that's an indication that it's time to look for a new village, cultivate new yeah. relationships. And um, I'm all about like one step at a time. Like what is one thing you can do no matter how small? Yep. Because um, it's not about how big the, the step is. It's just, are you taking a step? Are you moving forward? So if you can talk to a friend about yep. the stuff that is really fucking up your head, that's one step closer to being able to talk about it with a therapist. It is. Yep. And if your list doesn't have one person on it, you reach out to me on social media. I am at GoSonia on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook probably, but go for Instagram. If you don't have a person on your list or you don't feel like your list is robust enough, you you send me a direct message and I'll give you my number and you can put it on your list. All right. So Sonia is giving y'all permission to take time <laughs> to power your own self. And she is instructing you to write down the people that you can talk to. And if you can't talk to them, you can talk to Sonia. And we <laughs> want you to check out the National Alliance for Mental Illness. 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 Um, please check out NAMI. And we're going to have that link in our show notes. Yes. It'll be on the show notes on both mm -hmm. uh, YouTube and wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, mm -hmm. Amazon Music. All uh, over. We have to plug Amazon. I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's your home away from home. Just what they need. More plugging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, how cool was this? I this mean, was outstanding. This was great. I mean, Sonia, five days ago, we're brainstorming on, on my patio right over there. And and right now, I think, uh, you know, two episodes deep uh, for those of you listening, listening, this is this is in June. Um, mm -hmm. So um mm -hmm. Uh, happy Pride Month, everyone. But yes. uh, holy moly. I yeah. mean, this is what we envisioned. And, I, and I'm so happy. And, and, and you know, and feel free to, to, to reach out to us, of course. Uh, our uh, uh, Kendall is at uh, K-A-Y-R-A-T-Y-L. And I am at, at Johnny Fairplay, no mm -hmm. H and Johnny. So uh, we are not trained professionals. We are. <laughs> We're not doctors. We're not your doctor. This is medical advice. This is two assholes with opinions about how people should optimize their lives. So yes. take it as such. <laughs> Keep having these amazing conversations, you guys. Like you're quite the dynamic duo. And I think you can help a lot of people. And a podcast is where it's at right now. And um yeah, so I just I encourage you guys to keep pushing on. And if you ever need a pep talk or you're feeling a little bit low about it, you let me know. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This I knew this was going to be awesome. I, so for those of you that want more conversation with me and Sonia, uh, mm -hmm. go to uh, Reality NSFW and check out uh, our, our conversation about the world's toughest race. That was but, a fun uh, one. But join us here each and every week. Uh, search uh, Help NSFW on wherever you podcast and uh, click that subscribe button. Rate us five stars. Uh, leave an awesome comment. And uh, we can't wait to see you next week. Help NSFW. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Sonia. You're welcome.